Evening, church. Let me start off with telling you a story that happened in World War II. When Pearl Harbor was attacked, Desmond Dawn took it personal, and so he wanted to do something about it. But the only problem was that he was a Seventh-day Adventist, and he has sworn, he has taken an oath to never, ever take another human life. And so Desmond, he joins the army. He joins the army as a medic, and he vows to never take a weapon with him during battle. So no guns, no grenade, not even a combat knife. All he, all he went out with was a little Bible and, and his medical kit. That's all he had on him in various battles after battles. So long story short, what happens is one day his battalion gets an impossible task to scale a 120-meter cliff and to take over that summit from the enemy. And so that's what his battalion did. And so they, they started climbing and they climbed up on top of this cliff. And what was waiting for them was surely, an ex- they expected that, it was stiff resistance from enemy fire. And so there was machine guns, rifles, there was grenade, shrapnel, explosion everywhere. And this battled, and this, this little battle, that, that this crossfire and, and, and this killing ensued for days. And after the fifth day, after the fifth day, the battalion gets beaten black and blue and they fall down and, and they get beaten back all the way back down the cliff. And at the end of the day, who was still left on the summit? It was our boy Desmond Dawn, a whole bunch of injured teammates and enemy forces. So that evening, as the battalion was regrouping themselves at the bottom of the cliff, suddenly they saw a wounded soldier getting lowered down by some rope, slowly but surely to safety. And they realized when when they came to that soldier and attended to his wounds that little Desmond was up there working. And so throughout the whole night, Desmond Dawn runs and faces enemy fire. He takes some cover, he tends to the wounded and he carries them back and he lowers them by rope one by one. And this happens the whole night. And by the break of dawn, the battalion counted that Desmond Dawn has saved about 75 soldiers, 75 teammates. And so Desmond was awarded the Medal of Honor, not the game, but the medal which is America's most highest decorated prestigious award for military personnel. So it's like in Australia, it's like our Victorian cross. And so Desmond Dawn, when he comes back to America, he he gets awarded this medal. And when he gets awarded this medal, interviewers asked him, hey Desmond, what was going through your mind again and again as you ran towards enemy fire, charging through the midst of sulfur and explosions and bullets? to try to pull these men out of danger and then lower them down. What was going through your mind that kept you running around all night? And this is how Desmond replies. What was going through my mind was I just kept asking the Lord and I would say, Lord, please, one more. Lord, please, one more. Just, just one more, Lord. Lord, one more. That's, that's, what, that's how Desmond replied. Now, why, why am I telling you this, this, this story? For this very reason, because we love these sorts of movies. We make movies out of this story. If you've seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge, yeah, the, the star actor, Andrew, Andrew Garfield, yeah, it looks like Phil, doesn't it? 
Like Pastor Daniel said, he feel looks like a movie star. Yeah, it's true. I agree. We love these sorts of stories. Why? Because deep down in our subconsciousness, these stories, they grip our hearts. Why? Because a story of a little ordinary guy, every day your average Joe gets put into a, a peculiar situation, but he could still achieve the extraordinary, achieving above and beyond. Now, these types of stories, they inspire us. Because we too want to be helpful, do we not? Or that we start hoping and we start also thinking maybe, maybe God too can use our ordinary selves to achieve extraordinary things. That's why we love these stories. And when I saw this movie, Hacksaw Ridge, a few years back, it made me cry. And I started asking myself, do I view my life as living in a spiritual battle zone. Because that scene when Desmond was pulling his teammate and, and asking, Lord, just one more, Lord, just one more. He, he was never content with just a few. No, he's saying, Lord, one more, Lord, one more. It made me cry and it made me question myself. Lord, do I have what it takes? Do I risk it all, leave everything behind just to save one more soul to Christ? And so tonight, I also want to introduce to you another ordinary character whom, is, whom achieve, achieved the extraordinary. And this character can be found in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Acts 8, verses 26 to 40. This is the passage that we'll be expounding or we'll be looking at the story we'll be looking at. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can follow on the screen but before I get into this passage, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you send your Holy Spirit here. Lord, may you illuminate this passage for us, help us to understand. Lord, may you use me to be helpful to Oikos Church who's listening right now here in this room and, and those online. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, travel back in time with me to this scene. What you see is a lonely man waddling alone on this desert road. As the Middle Eastern sun is scorching upon his back, you see his facial features. His lips are chipped. His skin is dry. There is dust everywhere on his clothing. And there was some wind, but they were not, it was not a refreshing type of wind. It just brought more a scorching heat upon his face. It's been days since he had showered. It's been, his, his throat is dry. And he stands upon a crossroad now and he looks tired. But then he starts hearing the crackling noises of some distant vehicle and he looks up. Now, who is this man? How did he even get here? Well, let me tell you, in breakneck speed on the context of Acts chapter 8, the passage that we're in, let me tell you what's been happening. So Jesus Christ, he died and he rose again. <laughs> I like that. He died and he rose again. 
And before Jesus leaves back to heaven, he says to his motley crew of 12, well, 11, because Judas is gone. He says, you will receive power from the, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what happens is when we read the book of Acts from Acts chapter 1 verse 2 to chapter 7, we see these timid disciples transform into bold preaching disciples. And day by day, they stand upon the temple courts and they start preaching the good news. Hey, Jesus, you know that Jesus that you killed? Yeah, he's alive now. He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. And just to back up their claim, they also start performing miracles. And what happens in the city of Jerusalem, the city that killed Jesus, was this movement was taking place and they were calling themselves Christians and all and like and they're the believers of Christ and, and it started to take traction it was influence influencing all the regions around Jerusalem and of course this caught the attentions of the Jewish authorities and so the Jewish authorities came to these disciples and says hey hey stop preaching that message stop saying that we killed him but now he's alive stop performing miracles and of course these disciples they're like nah and they continue to stand at the temple and preach day by day And so what these Jewish leaders did, what they did best was that they turned to violence. And so what happens is we then get our first Christian martyr by the name of Stephen. And he gets stoned to death for his faith. And what happens right after that is that Christians, it became a living hell for them in the city of Jerusalem. They were being captured. They were being tortured. They were getting being thrown in prison. Some of them had, like, we're going to die. And the church gets scattered. Now things look pretty gloomy. Things look pretty dark. It does not look good. And we may be thinking, oh no. How is God ever going to advance his kingdom? How is God ever going to preach his good news to the world? I tell you how he chooses one man, one guy by the name of Phil. And we may be thinking, okay, we've heard of Jesus. We heard of Peter, James, and John. We heard of Saul becoming Paul. But who is this Phil guy? (laughs) Who is this Phil guy? Well, let me tell you who Phil is. This feel is. He was introduced to us in Acts chapter 6 as the bread run Phil. Funny enough, Phil also does bread run to Brentwood. Now, there's actually four fields in the Bible, in the New Testament. And this Phil, he's not Phil the disciple of Jesus. No, no, he was introduced in Acts chapter 6 to distribute bread amongst the widows, and he gets mentioned second after Stephen. So when they introduce this bread run team, they introduce Stephen and then Phil. So this Phil and then a whole bunch of other guys. So this Phil was second in charge of the bread run to the widows. And so when Stephen died because he got martyred, Phil was meant to take up his place as the president of the bread run, but of course he couldn't do that because he was also on the run because of the great persecution That's this feel. And God used this ordinary bread run guy to fulfill his promise when he says, when the Spirit is upon you, you will be my witness upon Jerusalem, Judea. That's already been fulfilled. But Samaria and to the ends of the earth, God used this feel as a catalyst for his kingdom. 
Because what happens is Phil ends up, when he's scattered, he ends up in Samaria, and many Samaritans came to believe in Jesus. And he also, if you know the story well, if you read further on in the passage, he starts preaching to Ethiopia, which in Ethiopia, back in those days, was known to be the ends of the world because they didn't have a full globe back then, and they thought that Ethiopia was the end of the world. And God used this Philip. Philip, why, why, am I, why did I pick Philip today? So, it just so happens also to be our own Phil's um, commission. Um, but this Philip, he is a model for us on how God used ordinary people like you and I to get his message across. It's not because that we're good. No, it's because God's good. It's God who saves. And we are merely his tools. It's God who saves and we are merely tools. If you ever get, to, the, get a chance to go to, the, go to Italy, the city of Florence, there's a place called the Galleria dell'Accademia. I know we have some Italians here. I just butchered those names. <laughs> okay. You'll see the workpiece of Michelangelo, not the Ninja Turtle, but the artist. And inside this big hall, you see what's on display is the statue of David, 13 and a half feet high, and it's breathtaking because this dude is a specimen standing all nude and and all. And what happened was he was carved out of a piece of marble taken from a quarry. And he's just, before he was just a piece of rock that during Michelangelo's day, all the other sculptures in his time were saying, what can we do with this rock? There's nothing we can do with this rock. And so Michelangelo takes this rock and he turns it into a masterpiece. And this baffles me because I'm thinking of the technology that Michelangelo had. He had no 3D printing. All he had for tools is a mallet, a chisel, and some little scrap metal. Really insequential tools, if you really ask me, which you can buy from any markets back in those days. But you know what happened? He took those set of tools and he created a magnum opus, which is another word to say a masterpiece. I can use the same tools and I can make a mess. (laughs) That's what I can do. But you see here, here's, here's the point. We are the tools. Don't get confused with ourselves as being the artist. He's the one that's going to sculpture. He's the potter. He's the craftsman. He's the orchestra. We, his church, are merely his tools in his divine work. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We merely just participate in all of this. So as tools, you know, stop pressuring ourselves that, okay, we got to do all the saving. We got to answer all the questions right. But no, no, no. We are his tools. But here's the question for you tonight. As his tools, what sort of tools are we? Are we disobedient tools or are we tools that are willing to be used? Do we say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Lord, you're telling me to go to that place. Okay, I'll go to that place. So back to the life of Philip. Where is he at the beginning of chapter 8? 
He ends up running. He's, he's scattered. He's, one of, he's amongst the scattered. And he finds himself in Samaria, a place where all the Jews hate. But he ends up there. And then he starts preaching the word of God. And many, it says many Samaritans came to believe in God. And so there was great revival taking in the place of Samaria. And then God sends an angel to Philip. And he tells Philip, go that way. And the angel points to himself. Whoa, okay. Because Philip right now in Samaria, he's currently north of Jerusalem. And now he has to go all the way down south. How south? He didn't even know. And in verse 27, look at how Philip responds. 27, he says, the Bible says, he arose and he went. He arose and he went. He didn't stay back to pray for two weeks. He didn't argue with God. Oh, Lord, can you send someone else? Great revival is happening here. The church is growing. I'm doing great ministry here. Things are great. Can't you send someone else? Can you send someone else? But no, he goes down south. And now this is not a walk in the park because geographically he walks for 200 kilometers. Geographically, 200. not a walk in the park. It's a walk in the desert. He's walking in the desert. Now this is crazy. Have you ever seen a situation where God told someone go and they just went for it? Well, I have. Um, on July 6th, 2016, I remember because this is 10 days before my wedding, Pokemon Go was launched. This app, Pokemon Go, was a phenomenon. Because when Pokemon said go, you know what people did? They went. They went to people's neighborhoods. They went, they went to weird, isolated places to catch some Pokemon. People went, traveled far and wide. People left their jobs to catch them all. People went to restricted private property to catch some Pokemon. Oh, this is crazy. When Pokemon said go, people went. But when Jesus says go to the Christian, we're stuck on our couch. We're still sleeping in bed, or some of us are stuck and glued to our computer chairs. Let's be honest. If you were Philip, would you be willing to go when things is all good and well? Are you willing to risk it all, to drop everything and go? Because this core on Philip's life is ridiculous. Because it will cost him time. Sometimes when God calls you to go, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you emotion. It's going to cost you a lot of, I don't know, it costs a lot. And when God tells you to go, he might not give you any explanation. Because for Philip, he walks down this desert road. It will cost him a lot of time and a lot of bodily fluids. He will be sweating buckets. On the, in, in the day, he's getting sunburned at the, and getting dehydrated. And at night, he's having risk of hypothermia because in the desert, it's cold at night. But he just went. He didn't ask why. Because he went because all he knew was just go. And he just got up and, and left the sp- The angel did not tell him what for. The angel did not tell him who's there. The angel didn't tell him why or to say what. He was just commanded, go, Philip. 
Now, this is a great lesson in how God, the Spirit of God, calls us sometimes. Sometimes we get this nudge. Sometimes we get this push to go into the situation. And when we're actually in the situation, God suddenly becomes quiet. Have you, have you ever been there? Like, God, you told me to, so loudly to talk to this person, and now I'm talking to this person, and now you're suddenly quiet? Because sometimes God does, when he tells us to go, he doesn't give us all the planning, all the intricacies of what's going to happen. Have you found yourself there where you just felt like, okay, God, I'm here, but then God's saying, okay, you figure out the rest. Have you felt that? Because I know I have. In that situation, it scares me too. I'm terrified of those situations because I don't want to look awkward. 19th of January, 2013, which is about seven years ago. I was on a plane trip. I was tired. It was, from, it was a work trip. I was coming back from Bri- uh, Melbourne to Brisbane. And I went on this plane. I just wanted to sleep. I sat down on my aisle seat because I like sitting on the aisle seat because I have a weak bladder and I go to the toilet a lot, but you didn't need to know that. I looked to my left and I saw no seats, uh, no one, and then I saw a girl and suddenly, boom, I hear a voice from the Lord. It almost sounds audible. It sounds so loud. And God said, Dexter, talk to her. Do you know how I responded? No. (laughs) Lord, she's she's a girl. Uh, I, I have a girlfriend. <laughs> it's, I don't want any misunderstanding. It's, it's, just, it's just weird. And so I was using Demi, my girlfriend, as an excuse to say no to God. And, and I'm, I'm looking at her and she's like picks up a book and she starts reading intently. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to disturb her reading. And so I can't look at her anymore. So I turn right and to my right, there's another guy that came and sat down. And boom, again, God says, go, Dexter, go talk to him. And I'm like, but he looks scary. Look at the, his guns. He looks cranky and he puts on these earphones. I'm like, Lord, you know, when people put on their earphones, they're usually more antisocial. They just want to be left alone and sleep. And so on that flight, I resisted the Lord and I just tried to sleep. I tried to sleep, but I couldn't sleep after 20 minutes. I'm like, fine, 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 fine. Lord, I'll talk to them, but you get them to talk to me first. And what happens is when I said that in my head, the girl puts down her book and she turns towards me and says, oh, excuse me, can you pass me the menu? And I'm like, oh, she talked to me first, GG for her. <laughs> and it just so happens that we were on Tiger Airways. Tiger Airways can't afford menus on every seat. And so it just so happens I had the menu in front of me. And so I gave it to her. And um, this is what I said. This is how the conversation went. Oh, what book are you reading? And she told me her title, which I didn't listen to. I forgot the title. And then the next thing I said was, do you know the Holy Spirit? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like who, who says that? Who even asked that? But thank the Lord that she didn't find me awkward or weird or like a freak or something. And, and it was by God's grace and mercy, I reckon. I, I didn't know what I was saying. Like the Spirit was just giving me a whole bunch of words and I was just, you know, spewing it out and just saying really direct things. And we started talking about, you know, life after death and we talked about the gospel. And you know what happened? When I turned around, the guy had his earphones off and his neck stretching, listening into every single word that I've been saying for the last 30 minutes. 
And I'm like, hey, dude, do you want to you join? And so I shifted over and I invited him on our aisle. And so it turns out he was a soldier, hence the guns. Um, but we, they bombarded me with a whole bunch of questions about our faith. And when the plane landed, I did ask them if they wanted to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, but unfortunately they said no. But that was okay for me because I knew I was obedient. I knew that at least I sowed the seed and God can do the rest. So I exited that plane, took my luggage, and as I was leaving the airport, there was this couple that, older couple that ran up to me and said, are you that guy that was, was talking about Jesus that whole time in the plane? And I'm like, uh, yes. And they said, you know what? We were praying for you that whole time, that whole journey. And I just felt so encouraged that night because when I was reluctant, reluctant to obedience, still did it. <laughs> God was sending me spiritual backup because I had no clue what I was doing. Church, I understand it's awkward to start conversations about Jesus. It's not normal. It still scares me today. But it doesn't change the reality. It does not change the fact that the message of Jesus Christ is the most important, most significant in this entire universe. And God has not ordained angels to herald this gospel, this message, this good news. But he's chosen ordinary people like you and I. Church, we are chosen. So how do we do it now? Um, Because I know for some of you guys, the mechanics really freak you out. Like you're you're wondering what to do and you're really overthinking it. And so, so Dexter, does that mean when I go into the office tomorrow and when I see Bob, I say, oh, hey, Bob, repent, Bob. (laughs) No, don't do that. Now we're going to zoom in for the next few minutes on how Philip, he's not talking, he's, he's not talking in front of many people, like a huge revival. No, we see Philip in action on one on one. What did he do? How did he change how the the gospel spread throughout the Middle East? So what happens is in verse 30, okay, before verse 30, Philip stands there and he's like, okay, he's at his location that he needs. Now what now? In verse 30, he says, the angel says, okay, go to that chariot, run to it. And so Philip he runs. Okay, so this guy, he's this dude, he's been walking 200 kilometers and now he starts running. Why? Because the chariot is moving fast enough for him to have to run. And so he's doing one of this. <gasps> I can just see him puffed out. I don't know if he has sufficient water in his system, but he's running. He's puffed out. And I just imagine, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm at this chariot. What now? But the moment that he gets close enough to this chariot, when he was obedient, as he got close enough, things started to fall in place for Philip. And he, and he hears being read out loud scripture. This is the timing of the Lord. It is absolutely astonishing. And he couldn't believe his ears. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And who's reading it? It's a eunuch. Now, I'm not going to go through the process on how you become a eunuch, um, but they do have a unique trait that they're not ever going to have any more biological kids, ever. Like this. 
That's, how, that's, that's what eunuchs are. So who is this eunuch in the story? Well, we know that he came from Ethiopia, which back then was a huge country, was a mighty nation. Today it's a little bit smaller, but back then it was huge. They, can, they controlled Africa, pretty much. Massive kingdom. And this kingdom, yes, they did have a king, but he wasn't the real boss. He wasn't the real power guy, but it was actually the king's mum. Like a lot how Asian families work. <laughs> so the mum was in control, and she had this title of Candace in the Bible that we read in Scripture, which is not really her real name, but her title, because she was the boss of the nation, and this eunuch was her trusted official. And he looked after all of the queen's money. So who we have here, this eunuch is, is the treasurer of Wakanda. He's on top of the food chain in status. He's rich, he's powerful, he's very important. But he goes towards Jerusalem. We don't know why he was in Jerusalem. Was it a business trip? Was it, you know, Peace Street? We don't know. But could it be that he started to begin asking spiritual questions that he doesn't know the answers to? That he's been hitting bottlenecks and he's confused and he's trying to understand yeah, I've got money. Yeah, I've got power. Yeah, I've got status. But inside, I still feel empty. Maybe he's going to Jerusalem to find this empty, to fill this, this empty void in him. I don't know that. Go to heaven and ask. Not now. I still need you alive. But from Jerusalem to home, how far is that? It's 2,000 kilometers, 10 times more the trip that Philip made. It's a long way away from home. And let's say if he was looking for spiritual answers, that's why he's reading all the spiritual scriptures and stuff. If he even went to the temple to find answers, you know what would happen when he got to the temple? He would have been turned away. Why? Because in the temple, only Jews are allowed to be in the temple. No Gentile. And he would have been also turned away because he had another status, which was he was a eunuch. Now, the temple ran on the Mosaic law, which is a huge object lesson for the people in which sometimes people and animals get excluded. For example, you touch a dead corpse or, okay, corpse are dead. You can't go to the temple because you're unclean. Pigs are not allowed to go to the temple because they were also deemed unclean. So all this helps the Israelites understand that God is holy. You just can't come to him whenever you want. No, you have to get yourself cleansed first. You have to get yourself right first to enter into the presence of a holy, almighty God. So it was a huge lesson for them. And according to the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy chapter 23, it states that no eunuch can ever go into the presence of God because God was against castration. So not only you cut this part off, you also get cut off from God. So you hear you have a man who risked, who risked it all, traveled 2,000 kilometers just to be turned away. When he thought he could be in Jerusalem to, to search what he was ever, whatever he was looking for, he was, he was empty and he has to travel back a long way. And that long way back, there was, you thought Tiger Airways were bad. No, this, this, this thing had no flight entertainment, no menus to look at. He, and it just so happens that he had a scroll 
of the prophet Isaiah. And he starts reading out loud. This dude could have just read in his head like normal people, but he's reading out loud about this mysterious figure, this suffering servant who's been slain like a lamb. Who can speak of his descendants because they can't because his life was being taken away on earth? What, what is going on? And at this very moment, he sees a stranger just running and staring at him. Hi, hi, hi. And this stranger asks him, hey, you know what you're reading? And he's like, of course not, unless someone explains it to me. And this guy says, yeah, I can explain that to you. And he invites the stranger in and... What the Bible tells us is they started going through this conversation where Philip was explaining the scripture and pointing out the good news to this Ethiopian. What is the good news? The good news is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And church, I only can imagine how this conversation would have went with all the clues that I pieced together in this passage. conversation might have went something like this. Hey, yes, I know you might have been excluded from the temple, but you know what? Spiritually speaking, we're all excluded from God because none of us can, can stand up to the, the bar that he set. Yes, I know that you may not be accepted around this place because you're not really a man and you're not really a girl. Your sexual orientation has changed, but you know what? God accepts you. Don't you see, my African brother? Christ took our place on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, ex- he's been excluded so we could be included. He was cut out, cut off so we could be brought in. He was made unclean so we could be made clean. Jesus took our place. Do you know the part about the lamb that was slain? He was the lamb that was slain. It was because of Jesus that we get to enter now into the presence of Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus was what Isaiah was talking about. And you see, church, how did Philip get all the way there and, and talk deeply about the faith. And then what happens was this Ethiopian, he, he came to believe and he got baptized and then he came back to Ethiopia and the gospel just spread from there. What happened? All because Philip was obedient. I now invite the band up as we close. Sometimes church, you will get the feeling that God wants you to talk to someone whom you don't know. And when you introduce yourself, that's the easy part because in our today's society, they will think that you're just nice, that you're just being social. But the next part is the hard part, is to be obedient to God, to start sharing about Jesus. Because that's not normal. That's weird. We don't want to look like a crazy religious person, do we? But then there are times where we have disobeyed. And have you ever had that feeling or that thought after you met someone? You had this guilt-ridden sense that, and you're saying inside your heart, done, I should have told them about Jesus. There was opportunities there, but I missed it. Or sometimes you say, oh, I totally forgot to mention Jesus. Here's the thing, you didn't forget. You were just being disobedient. Some of you may have excuses where, well, God didn't specifically tell me to talk to that person about Jesus. Well, 
Let me tell you, the Bible already has, Jesus already has. When Jesus declared the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so you know what, church? Our default mode is to be disciple makers. That's our default mode. And all God asks is sometimes for obedience. You don't need to be that theologian. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be an intern. You don't need to be a long-time Christian to share the message of God. All God wants is, all Jesus wants is, someone who's willing, who's obedient to his call. His nudge when the time comes. And you know what? We shouldn't pressure ourselves because at the end of the day, it's God who saves. We just share. And you know what? I guarantee you, most of the time, this Holy Spirit pulls through and He actually gives us the word. And He can call you anytime, any place, anywhere. Just even on Monday, I came into the petrol shop, BP shop. That's because it's Monday, cheap Monday, and I was just filling up. And for the last... Year, I've been talking to this one guy um, every Monday, just small talk. And it was kind of different this Monday because I came in and he's like, oh, hey, Merry Christmas. And I said, Merry Christmas. I hope you had a good holiday. And then he suddenly asked me all these questions out of nowhere. Hey, you're a pastor, right? What's, what's the name of your church? Where's your church at? Because I want to visit. I'm like, what? I don't even know your name, dude. So when he comes back from the holiday, hopefully one day he, he actually comes and sit in our service church. Would you just welcome him for me? Look, God can use you anywhere, anytime. It's He's the master. He's the sculpture, sculptor. He's the one that orchestrates everything. And so this is my prayer. As your pastor leading you into 2020, this is my prayer that Oikos Church would just be a church that is obedient. Obedience. We don't need to be the smartest church. We don't need to be the richest church or the most snazzle-dazzle, have smoke machines and big stage. We don't. I just want our church to be the most obedient church for when God calls, when God initiates, we participate, we communicate the gospel and we let the Holy Spirit illuminate Christ for them. God bless you, church.